Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello to all our fantastic TTM podcast listeners. We have a real treat for you. Do you have trouble with your sleeping? Do you suffer with anxiety or depression? Do you still have those aching muscles that you keep talking about? Then we have the perfect product for you to try. Supreme CBD. It comes in many different forms. For example, Supreme CBD face cream. It uses organic natural ingredients leaving your face feeling smooth and also without the use of synthetic compounds. For those aching muscles, there's Supreme CBD Muscle and Joint Rub, which penetrates deep into the skin and muscle joints, combining the therapeutic benefits of eucalyptus, rosemary, cinnamon bark, and black pepper in a wonderfully hydrating aloe gel. Also, there's more available. We have all of the oils, vapes, and even gummy bears, which are vegan. Now for the best part. Head over to Supreme CBD UK today and enter our unique discount code TTM30 and you will get 30% off of everything on the website. That code again, TTM30. It really doesn't get any better. Head over to SupremeCBD.UK. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the TTM podcast, the Global Football Series. And today we have a very special episode where we invite Daniel Neville, uh, the technical director for the British Virgin Islands FA. Daniel, welcome to the TTM podcast. How are you? Yeah, well, good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Fantastic. Uh, brilliant. Obviously, I'm here today with my co-host James um, going through this football series where we open the eyes uh, to some obscure places around the world, really, in our global football series and actually bringing it out into the open um, where you usually wouldn't see the light of day, um, to be honest with you, in mainstream uh, football domains. Um, so let's talk about your career, Dan. Um, where did it start? How, how did football start for you? First team was Hamworth United. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so 
wasn't quite good enough for my own age group, so I actually got put up an age group because they had less players. I mean, now you'd go up an age group because you were the best player. At the time, yeah. I went up an age group because they didn't have enough. And uh, yeah, I had some reasonable experiences. I mean, the first, I think my first game, we played a team called Portland and we lost 18 yeah. nil. Uh, 18 nil. It's pouring down the rain, pitch is really muddy. And it was at a time where everyone used to turn up dressed in their kit. So a bit like they're doing now with the lower leagues with COVID. And our goalkeeper wasn't allowed to get muddy. So unless a shot was at him, he had to let it in because his mum wouldn't let him in the car if he was muddy afterwards. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that was my first recollection of football, really. And then, yeah, stuck at it. You sort of get bit by the bug and improved a little bit. And then when I was 14, I went into AFC Bournemouth Centre of Excellence. Um, did okay there. In year 11 at school, I had a Hodgkin's disease, which is a cancer of the lymph nodes. So unfortunately... Um, I had to stop playing for seven or eight months. I didn't take my exams as a result of that. Then I couldn't do a scholarship or I didn't get offered a scholar because at the time I wasn't fit. Um, so I got myself back fit player, went on trial at Leighton Orient, did okay. Then Barry Hearn comes in and uh, makes a few changes. So I ended up going back to Bournemouth for a bit. And then from there, I played non-league. I played for Paul Town, uh, Bournemouth Poppies. I managed Bournemouth Poppies, Bashley, uh, Brockenhurst. And then... Um, uh, at Bournemouth Poppies, I was working, uh, our manager at the time was Sean Brooks, um, who actually was the one that got me into coaching. And then I remember I, he got me an interview for a Centre of Excellence job at Bournemouth. And uh, I've been coaching, I was just on my level two at the time. And uh, so I went for the interview for the under 10s assistant. And then I got informed I wasn't successful, the 10s assistant, but I ended up with the 11s lead. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So I went in for an assistant's job and I was, I was nervous about that. So then, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you're under 11s lead coach at Bournemouth. And then um, I was given uh, Andy Andy um, Marsh, uh, hugely experienced coach. He was great. And Mike Davis, another experienced coach. They were with me. But I was like the lead coach because I could get there every week and because their business and teaching commitments, they couldn't. But uh, what they didn't tell me was Andy went to America for six, six weeks over the summer. So pre-season, he wasn't there because he was away. And then Mike Davis was busy, so I was in at the deep end there. But uh, but no, it was um, yeah, it was good, and you know you adapt because you have to. I remember sat in the staff meeting on my like induction almost, and it's like some hugely experienced coaches in the room. And I remember thinking, oh wow, you know, they, 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 a lot of their talk went above my head. The books they had read, and you know, and I'm thinking, I've never actually read one. I just played really, and just yeah. watched people. And uh, you know, before long, you know, you watch and learn, and you're around good people, and. Yeah, that that was sort of got me into coaching, really. And actually getting into coaching probably finished me playing. I, I finished playing. I was player manager of Bournemouth Poppies. And, uh, you know, you'd come in the dressing room at half time, you'd be one down. You'd want to give some people some honesty. Yeah. But actually, you've probably been one of the worst players. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, quickly, you have to decide what you want to do. So stop playing that, that then. That was when really I sort of, I probably would have looked, started looking at myself more as a coach. So okay. that, that sort of stopped me playing and then uh, did my B licence. And on my B licence, Joe Roach was the academy manager. Dean May was a 16s, 15s manager. And they pulled me to one side and Dean was like, oh, what, what do you do for Bournemouth? And I said, oh, I'm the 11s. He said, well, next season, you're going to assist the 15s with me. And I was like, oh, right, OK. I mean, I was 26 at the time, so not massively really? older than the, in the group that I was working with. And. Uh, he was a goalkeeping assessor as well. So, again, on the first night with him, he wasn't there. So, you know, that's another one where, he, uh, you know, really in at the deep end. And then he comes back in and he's someone to sort of really learn off. Um, 
So that, yeah, I, I think, you know, and there's a, I'm sure it'll unfold later, but later on, you know, the career has been very, very logical, but it's been a completely illogical way, the way everything's happened. If, if, I, uh, yeah, I if, think if, it's if, brilliant. I think the, the, yeah. the title that you have at the moment is outstanding. I think, uh, yeah. I think all of us who are football purists, who love football, that the, the British Virgin Islands link is incredible. I think it's outstanding, actually, as a matter of fact. You should be proud of yourself, uh, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's fact, really good. It come across like really randomly how that, you know, if you want me to go in now, how that came across. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so I was 15, 16 at Bournemouth, then assisted the 18s as well. And then I had a little break because I had uh, two, uh, two young daughters. Um, and then I went back in and was deputy manager for the Sports Trust, deputy head. And then from there, we sort of have um, head of talent ID and like, people like Ed, Eddie Howe and Jason that were manager and assistant at the time. I used to run a session on a Wednesday evening for, um, for all their kids. So you'd have Steve Purchase is now assistant manager. His two boys came. Jason Tyndall's son came. Eddie Howe's son came. Uh, the Russian owner, Maxin, son and daughter came. The chief exec, Neil Blake, his, his two of his sons came. So I used to do a session for them and um, just used to put the session on on a Wednesday. And to be honest, it, from where I live in Bournemouth, but that was only an hour away. It's a really, it was really awkward for me to get there. But I just love being around, you know, you're around people like Perch, Perchy, Jason, Eddie, you know, proper football people. Even, yeah. For the, yeah. you know, it's great working with their kids first and foremost. But even that 10 minute conversation you'd have at the end, you know, you'd always pick something up and, you you know, you'd speak about the game on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, even for that, it was it was beneficial. And then one night, you know, we're running a session on the first team training ground. And this this fella comes sort of waltzing across the first team training pitch. And uh, he looks like Lovejoy, the old antique dealer. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. not one of our parents, who can this be? And he's like, oh, I'm looking for Eddie Howe. And I was like, well... Oh, uh, yeah, he's not here. And he goes, oh, where is he? And I said, well, that light on up there, that, that's his office. And, oh, great. How do I get there? And it's like, well, he's a, he's a Premier League manager. You don't just, you know, walk in and sit down and have a chat. He's been up by me asking, what's it about? And he said, oh, we want to link with the British Virgin Islands. And I said, well, the first team probably wouldn't do that. They're Russian owned with American investors. So I said, I'd imagine their international commitments would probably lie there. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, no, we've got loads of good young kids with the Virgin Islands. I want to look at them. And I said, well, as that happens, I run the talent ID centres, so I'm probably not a bad point of contact. So we swapped emails, didn't hear anything. Two weeks later, you get an email back. Nice to meet you. And you think, okay. Then like six weeks later, you don't hear anything. And we have loads of these conversations on a weekly basis. 99 out of 100 fizzle out. And then he said, oh, the, our president's coming across. He'd like to meet you. So I booked a box. We met the president, got on like house on fire. We had a good three hours just talking all things football. And, uh, we decided the best course of action would be to run a camp. So we arranged to run a camp out there for Bournemouth, and then we could look at all their players in their, you know, in their home environment. Sometimes that's when you see the best of them. Yeah, so arranged the camp uh, for, for the July. This was in the January. In the March, I left my Bournemouth role because I run a company called Champion as well, mm. and it got to the point where I'd probably have to give up one of them. Now Bournemouth will always be there, but the Champion company, we go into rural areas. We work with kids that may not get access to coaching so I felt if I come out of that then we deprive a lot of people so morally yeah, okay. I had to stay at champion I, I felt I having built it up so I went into that still arranged it for Bournemouth to run it and then Joe Ropes the academy manager left and no one wanted to make the decision to actually go so in the end Bournemouth said to me look we, we can't really send anyone out because there's no one really in charge at the moment you know everyone's on tented hooks that if they make the decision and the new man comes in they get questioned so they weren't going to go. So I phoned 
the president said, look, I'm really, really sorry, but they're, they're not coming. And he's like, all oh, right, okay. And he goes, can you come out? And I said, well, if you want me to. And he goes, can you bring someone with you? So I brought uh, Kev Graybrook, is a, was a good friend of mine. He's a pro-license coach. So we sent him our CVs within about 10 minutes. He said, yeah, come over. So we went and did the week. The week was great. Kids were great. And uh, I wrote him a little action plan of how I felt that they could develop. And he said, that's absolutely brilliant. Problem is, we've got no one to do it. No, no one to deliver this plan. Can you deliver the plan? And I said, well, probably not me, but what I can do is I can send the coach out and we're just liaise from England. Yeah, good idea. Then Hurricane Irma hits September 2017. Oh. Absolutely obliterates the place. And we actually ended up taking three of their players to Bournemouth and they stayed in a, a, a boarding school in Bournemouth because they had, you know, the home was wrecked. And we started coaching their players and the players reacted really well to coming to England. And then in uh, February 2018, I was offered the assistant national team coach job. Uh, I said, you want to do it? And uh, I said, yeah, definitely. And they're like, well, we haven't talked about the contract or the terms. And I was like, I, I don't need the contract or the terms. I'll do it. I don't, yeah. That's not important to me. What, what an opportunity. Yeah. So we run a court, we run a cat. So we brought them over to a place called Milton Abbey, uh, which is in Blandford. And the squad was picked for us because obviously we had no knowledge of the players really. Yeah. So we had the squad. Um, really, really interesting camp for two or three points, actually. The first point was we played Weymouth in a friendly. And after about 15 minutes, we're 3-0 down. And I looked at John Riley and said, if this ain't 10 before half time, we're going to be really, really lucky. And uh, we ended up, I think it was 5-0 at half time, miles away from where, where we should be. And we had three or four young players on the bench that we just actually invited to the week just to be around it. And actually, we put them on and we were so much better with those four. They really grasped their opportunity. So um, that was the first point, really, that they did well. But then there was a couple of other bits, like the lads are slipping and sliding and, you know, it's a wet march in England, but they're all wearing moulds. Yeah. So I spoke to John and said, well, perhaps we should have told them that. You know, mm. why on earth in the Caribbean would you want a metal stud? You know, you'd never, ever wear it. It's like 35 degrees every day. Absolutely. So that's one of those things where you think, oh, don't take things for granted. We probably took for granted that they would just bring that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't. So that, that was like a learning curve for us. So actually, things that you take as a norm maybe aren't the norm. So you have to look at absolutely everything. And then moving on from that, probably even more of a poignant point that maybe people that have worked around, you know, in, in other countries would understand. Um, on the Thursday after the game, we did a secret Santa. So you had art, craft, so you could either make someone something. And I, uh, I wrote a poem to one of the players. Okay. So I wrote this poem. It's obviously anonymous. And the player had to read it out. And... It, it was a different, it was like a random, it was a random player about the other one. And, you know, I and he was struggling to read it. Like, my handwriting's not great, but, like, literacy, numeracy wasn't a great strength of his. Great yeah. player, great lad, works in construction, very, very good builder, but come from an era where, you know, schooling at the time maybe wasn't so important. And I, and I, and I remember thinking, blimey, I spent a whole week doing PowerPoints. I spent a whole week putting things mm. on the board for the reading yeah. Scene. yeah. Not for one minute did I ever think that perhaps they might not, that might not be the way they learn. So that camp was like a massive learning curve Yeah. Um, for us in terms of, you know, don't take things for granted, you know, work to them, not the other way around. You know, if the, if the player, you know, some players may not respond to stuff that's written, then it needs to be verbal. Some might need to be shown. So we sort of knew that anyway, because we've been coaching quite a while, but that, that really sort of hit home. And I remember when we did the second camp, 
we were much, much better prepared for absolutely every scenario and to make sure that we gave every player the very, very best opportunity of understanding what we want from. Yeah, it's like you've had to start literally from scratch, whereas, you know, yeah. from the outside looking in, you'll be thinking, right, first thing I'm going to do is, right, how are we going to climb that, glo- you know, the global ranking system? How are we going to get away from the foot of that table and make our way up? Where actually, when you really look at it, you're doing PowerPoints and some of them, are, you know, literacy, um, they, they can't really read and write very well. So actually, the very last thing on your mind at that time is going to be the global ranking. Um, yeah. So it's such a... It's such a, a different way of looking at football because there's so much more involved. Um, I think it's really, really interesting, actually. In terms of your squad selection now, um, James, you got a couple of questions to ask about that? Yeah, so you, you mentioned, obviously, the first time, Dan, uh, the squad was almost provided for you. Um, at that particular time, would the squad have been made up primarily of players playing in the domestic league? Um, it would have probably been a fair mix. Now, what we found was, and I suppose we have to be careful a little bit what we say, we had players in the squad. So we had some expatriates because there's a massive financial services yeah, um, absolutely. Um, economy over there just because of, of obviously, you know, it's a, the, yeah, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you get a lot of expats. And yeah. the, uh, what I found was the, ex, the expats probably showed a little bit more pride and a little bit more understanding of the opportunity they had than maybe some of the locals we had in the squad. Mm. So I think historically, it, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, when the age you got selected and what we need to come away from and what we felt we needed to come away from, we wanted people that fully understood the opportunity that they were given and we wanted to see immense national pride. And what we found is with the younger players, uh, their national pride is absolutely unbelievable. You know, they absolutely love their country that, you know, they would do anything. And now more so, so we transitioned away from expatriates more and we've got a very, very, I say island-based teams, a lot of them have relocated to other areas in the Grove, maybe because of Hurricane Irma, because of schoolings, we've got a younger group. So it's a very, very local team now, although they may not be playing in, in the domestic leagues. Um, the other issue we have with domestic leagues is after Irma, we didn't have a pitch. So we okay. didn't right. have 11, 11 aside for maybe a year. So it was small-sided what, football. What did you do? So, yeah, was it on an AstroTurf or a 3 Yeah, small-sided football on an AstroTurf. Cedar School, were, it was the ethnic international school on the island, were good enough to allow us to use our Astro. And, and that's what we used until the until the pitch was that done. I mean, Irma was that strong. The wind took the 3G off the ground. Jesus. Yeah. It, it was. It, it absolutely ravaged the entire region and, and was still yeah. going as it made landfall in Florida, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. It was massive. It was huge. Yeah. And to rip the 3G out of the surface, that's something you don't really want to be caught in. Do you know what, Dan? You've had to build this from scratch. Yeah, it almost yeah. does feel like that. It Much feels like that. Um, I mean, we had um, we had Ryan Ryan Martin of uh, FC Loudon on on Friday, and he spoke about we, we similar situation in a way where he had to they took over the franchise of Cincinnati under John Harks. He was the assistant there, and they had to build it from scratch. Just the squad, really. This is building the whole infrastructure, yeah, um, from the ground up. You know, not yeah. just the players. It's building literally. It, it's almost like a complete blank canvas. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an incredible task. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we had to build everything because the schools league was very, very strong before Irma, where maybe a thousand kids 
Yeah. Then after her, mate, you know, you reset from zero again. And it's yeah. just getting back now, thanks to the, you know, tremendous hard work of the local coaches and the local community that we've actually, you know, the, the stadium pitch is done, the 3G is back. We expect the stadium to be finished uh, end of next year. The stadium's going to be a magnificent stadium. Um, I think one of the best in the Caribbean because it's new. What's the capacity on it? Uh, the capacity, I think, is four and a half thousand. Yeah. Which obviously is small, but our population well, is at 24. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spot on. And you're close to the pitch, and we've had a really good say in some of the aspects of the stadium that we want from a football and a technical perspective. So the stadium's well on the way, the pitch is done. We've just done extensive work on the pitch in Virgin Gorda. Virgin Gorda is like the second biggest island. Uh, okay. So there's a grass pitch there that's. Um, I shouldn't say second biggest island, actually. It's some friendly rivalry. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> Joint biggest island. Uh, uh, there's a grass pitch there as well. Um, there's had some a lot of work on it, and there's um, some really good local coaches, and the, the drive for football on Virgin Gorda is really good. And we've, There's a lot of players that have come off Virgin Gorda now. And, and also, in terms of, obviously, the league isn't going to be broadcast locally. There won't be any television deal or anything like that. But are you getting any local investment at all into the league from any local business? Or is the FA made up? Uh, is it state-owned, basically? Is it yeah, run so by the state? Yeah, the FA, the FA are probably quite unique in terms of I've never known an association do so much for its people. Um, we pick players up. We drop them off. We have buses. Yep. Yes. Kids get fed. The kids get drinks. The FA run the schools leagues. Uh, the FA are going to be running the academy youth league that we're starting. The FA run the men's national league, uh, the women's national league that we've got starting within the next six weeks. They run that as well. So we run absolutely everything. And sponsorship is the next thing mm. uh, really on the agenda because the product now is quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Standard the national league has improved a lot. Um, it's one of the youngest national leagues now. We've got a lot of players in our youth system um, that are actually playing at the top level in the country, sort of week in, week out now. Um, I think we're just looking at streaming and we've just done a deal with AO cameras. So there'll be analysis at, at all games as well, which, which, which I think is, which would be a major advancement for the players to have the ability to log into the system, watch their games, do their own clips. You know, is it, is it, um, is it professional, Dan, the level? Is it, is um, it? No, so, so it's amateur. Classed, yeah, still be classed as amateur, actually. Yeah, but they people take it, you know, really seriously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. If it was for my country, I'd play for free. And, you know, yeah. and that's what it should yeah. be. You should feel pride and feed in that shirt and the badge, touch the top of your chest. And that's when you should get, you know, you run through brick walls for your country. And then that, that seems to be the attitude that you're getting out of these players. Yeah, in, you know, BVI. So yeah, when you're um, when when you're looking at um, putting together a squad down, um, obviously, you've got the, the 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 domestic league, which I'm sure you're watching games all the time in the domestic league. You'll probably know every player is eight team league. Uh, eleven. Eleven now. Um, yeah, so, 11 so you now, so you'll you'll be aware of every player in that league, no doubt. Obviously, you looking elsewhere. I've noticed you've got some players in the lower leagues, the non-league system in this country, for example. Yeah. Um, how do you go about finding these players who may potentially be eligible to represent the, the BBI? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one. Um, in actual fact, what I'd add on our domestic league, we know all the players, but because of the FIFA statutes, you need a UK passport and then your mum, dad, nan or granddad on either side needs to have been born there. 
or you need to have lived there for a couple of years in your lifetime. So if you haven't got those things and you can't actually represent the country. So we've got two players, uh, Jamal Sargent, three players, Kevin Fisher and Sheldon Harry. Three top players that would absolutely be in our squad. But because they haven't got a part of British passport, because I think Kevin was born, born, moved here when he was two. He's like 23 now. Then they're not eligible to play. Yet someone from the UK that might have moved there for financial services to work as an accountant or a lawyer Complete for him. two years and be eligible. Yeah, it's not right. right. So incredible. Kevin Fisher actually plays rugby for the BVI because the RFU statutes are different to the FIFA statutes. So he can yep. play rugby legally, but he can't play for us. Now, FIFA have actually just changed the statute uh, last week. So we're just now, we've got like our people reading through the statutes because they're not clear. You know, they're, they're very well written, but you could read them 10 times and get eight different scenarios. So, That's FIFA for you. Yeah, look yeah it, it's like the Conservative Party are running the coding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very similar to that. Um, so we're just looking through those. But my understanding is if you're a belonger, you might be able to be selected now. Now, that would be a real game changer for us because if we could yeah. get the 11 best players on the island, we'd be really strong. Mm. So one, at one point, we could do that. And we were about 150th in the world when yeah. we could pick uh, belongers. But obviously, that, that changed because of the FIFA statute. So, you know, you've got an island of 24,000 people. And in our national league, there's probably only three or four players on each team that would be eligible. And some of them could be really? late first. You know, some mm. of them are late 30s or 16. You know, so, you know, Very difficult players in the UK and keeping tabs on people is really important. So we've got three in the US. Uh, we've got uh, one in New Zealand who isn't quite legal yet, but he will be because he's just, uh, I think there's a five-year process for his passport. Um, and he's on the way. We've got one in Scotland that's playing for Motherwell, Lawton Green. Um, okay. Again, he's 16, not eligible yet, yeah. but will be because his brother's actually in New Zealand. I think his brother actually might be even in Scotland now as well. Then we've got one in Spain, Alejandro Santos. Uh, so we did a camp the other week and he managed to be able to come over. Uh, we keep an eye on him regularly. There's no football in Spain at the moment. So um, we're sending him out a programme that he can just go and complete. We've got a player in the Netherlands, Liam Block, uh, who again is playing again now. Because um, obviously Holland uh, Dutch football's up and running, so yeah. every week we'll have a conversation. Just so, how long did you play for? What position did you play? Who did you play against? How did you feel you did? Uh, obviously, you know, asking the player how we did could be dangerous, but you know, yeah. we answer that for a bit of honesty, you know. Um, and then we've got obviously several players now that have moved from the island over to the UK. That we're a lot of them we've managed to relocate to Dorset. A lot of the younger ones, and they. Uh, we've got a school that we run, so a lot of them are in our school, um, and they train every day, so we can keep a really close eye on them. Um, and then we've got one in London, Tosh Gallimore, and then uh, we've got one in the north of England as well. And then weekly, we're, we're in contact with them. So what does um, your typical day look like um, as technical director slash assistant of, of the British Virgin Islands, what does it look like? What do you know? What do you do? You go through a routine, for instance. No, not that. It, it's cyclical, really. Um, mm. In normal times, I would spend probably three weeks in the UK, one week in the BVI. Obviously, because we've got quite a few players over here now, and they're national level type players. 
then it's important that I can see both camps in action. So during non-COVID times, it'd be three weeks here, one week in a BVI. If we're preparing for a tournament, it might be slightly different. Uh, COVID times, uh, I tend to get up fairly early and, and run the champion stuff till about one o'clock. And then one o'clock here is eight o'clock in the Virgin Islands. And then the sort of day starts and we have, you know, a video call most days. Um, we're sending out the coaching program. I ask for pictures and we speak to the media people. So it's a very administrative type role. Um, CONCACAF and FIFA have been absolutely brilliant over COVID as well. You know, I'm a new technical director. Um, and it did strike me a little bit that you did have a little bit of autonomy before. Uh, and autonomy is great if you're really, really keen and experienced. If you're not, then, you know, sometimes you can get away with stuff. What I found is that, like, every week we're doing something for CONCACAF. You know, yeah. we're doing a bilateral program at the moment, and there's a Zoom call every week, and the Zoom calls are quite intense, so the, the preparation needs to be good. Yeah. And they're examining all areas of RFA, which is good, because we, we want the support. Um, we're also doing a talent ecosystem program, so that coupled with the fact that I'm, I'm a new technical director, I got my email from my mentor. So I've read the email and I was like, oh, no way, it can't be. And it was Steve McLaren. So oh, I phoned, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I phoned uh, Gareth Jennings, who's head of technical leadership at FIFA. So he's in charge of all the technical directors. And I said, before I respond to this email, is it these McLaren? Yeah, absolutely. Said, yeah, yeah. Steve McLaren. And uh, we've had three or four really, really good conversations, actually. And it you worked know, out quite well. Absolutely brilliant. With um, Steve McLaren, I was listening to him, uh, the Crystal Palace against Manchester United match. I was listening to it on the way in from work the other day. He was um, um, he was doing the co-commentary. And um, when you actually sit down and listen to Steve McLaren speak, he speaks in a lot of sense. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really, really, really knowledgeable guy. He's actually quite witty with what he says yeah, he as well, I think. He really is. And I think... Um, you know, obviously what happened with England happened. Um, but, you know, when you look at his career as a whole, you know, he's done very well at FC20. Um, yeah. done extremely well there, actually. And um, that's really, really good that you've got that connection with Steve McLaren because he's actually got some weight behind him as well, hasn't he? So it's a you know, yeah. fair play to you. Yes, knowledge is. Yes, knowledge is incredible. Very affable. Um, very interested in, in what we're doing as well. Uh, so he's been, yeah, no, he's been, um, yeah, very good. Uh yeah, massively, massively helpful for us. Um, and then we've got Jason Roberts as well, who is director, um, CONCACAF, director of development. Um, obviously, he's a player. Ex-Wigan. Wigan yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. Hugely helpful for us as well. You know, he's, he, you know, he's very accessible to everyone in the region. But, you know, we've leaned on him and we've asked him questions and he, he's been great for us as well. So we've done quite well, but we've had a lot of support from some unbelievable people as well. So, had you, when you took this role on, Dan, had you ever actually been to the British Virgin Islands before? No, when he said it was the British Virgin Islands, that's who I'm from. If I'm honest, I, I had to think, is that a club or a country? Yeah, 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 country. yeah, yeah. Oh, really nice. Where's that then? And, and he said, oh, it's in the, in the Caribbean. So, yeah, I, yeah, and then I went home and Googled it. And before we did the camp, I did extensive research so I could tell you, you know, per capita income, population. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, so I made sure that I was quite well researched and obviously music's a big part there. So I spent most of the plane journey researching musicians 
And when I got there and asked people about them, I still don't think anyone's heard of who I was as a researcher. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. We, we were talking earlier in the week, because obviously, you know, we've got, it, we've got it planned for a little while, and we've been really looking hard online at the British Virgin Islands, and that is somewhere where down the road we want to get out there and we want to watch that national team play. Absolutely. Oh, I'd love you to come out, yeah. Yeah, you know. we want to do that. And and then what we also want to do is to provide a platform. Our listeners will be listening now thinking this is an incredible football chat for the purists. This is a great, great football chat. Um, with yourself as well, James, I know you want to get on in a minute with uh, talking about the CONCACAF World Cup, how that sort of works, Nation League. Um, for yourself, um, do you think that you will actually take the plunge and maybe one day look at assuming that managerial job on the international scene with BVI? Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't be national team coach. I, I, I mean, I prefer the technical director role. I think yeah. they're, they're very different roles now. You're not actually allowed to be both. Okay. Yeah, FIFA do say that it is a very separate role. So I'm obviously looking after the short, medium, long-term plan on behalf of the executive committee, whereas a national team coach is preparing for the next game. Yeah, mm. uh, I would say probably my strength probably lies in more the administration and overall organisation. And, you know, John Riley, you know, has done very well as a national coach and, you know, we give more support and he's a, he's a good guy as well. Um, I think you'd never say never. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't think you'd ever say no. But at the moment, I'm quite happy, you know, play, playing the role that I do because I think that probably suits me a little bit more, actually. So with um, with this role, uh, Dan, obviously uh, relatively young guy still as well, um, still learning the game. Are you looking to use this as potentially a bit of a springboard into future roles? When I look at uh, Gary White as somebody, um, for example, former manager of the, the BVI, uh, use it as a real springboard, but on a fantastic journey around Asia, Guam, British Thai, uh, Chinese Taipei. Um, eventually, I was quite impressed to see that he'd managed to springboard himself to land the job at Tokyo Verdi, um, yeah. as well as jobs in China. Um, quietly to yourself, do you think, you know, I can get my foot in the door, maybe a bigger nation, or, or, or is it are you solely focused on the BVI project? Yeah, I think I'll be. Yeah, once I think once I undertake a role, I mean, my football jobs have been at those various roles. I was at Bournemouth for sixteen years. I was a lecturer on the football development program at Solent for twelve years, and I've had champion for eight years. So I'm not really one to, you know. I think you've either got to commit long term to a project or go the other route and have two years at each job and, and move around. Yeah. But I, I actually prefer, you know, I, I wouldn't want. I, you know, I definitely wouldn't see myself coming away at the moment. Um, you know, we've got a strategic plan till 2024 and, you know, I'd love to, to, to see the plan out to 2024 and beyond. Obviously I won't be here forever, you yeah. know, but transitional and we're, I think, you know, we're all passing through it to some extent. Yeah. But yeah for the moment, I don't think, you know, having gone through, I wouldn't say we've gone through pain because we haven't gone through pain, but we've gone through a lot of hard work to yeah. get it where it is. I wouldn't want to now come away after we've done all that hard work i'd really like to see the project through and i think i owe it to you know the president in the executive committee and i think every player and every parent that showed a little bit of faith in me coming from unknown i don't think now i could go and you know i think i owe them to stay and give it my absolute well, best shot well look it's loyalty isn't it and, and loyalty is respected in any profession in the world um, yeah, absolutely so. no no doubt about it is um you know obviously your long-term plan is it now something you're looking at? Now you, what you've done is you've planted the seed and those seeds are now starting to grow. 
Um, do you do you anticipate that you will try to have some sort of an assault and try to get up them world rankings, or is that still at the moment not really on the agenda? It's just about really developing the country in terms of its footballing ambition and goals. Yeah, I think um, probably you know we've got when we played Bahamas, our second half team against Bahamas that we actually drew nil nil in the second half. We had I think eight players under the age of nineteen of which seven played in the CONCACAF under-17s in 2017, which was my first entrance to them, really. Yeah. So when you look at that, if you're blooding those young players, that and points don't usually come hand-in-hand. Sometimes you might get two at once, but not usually. So if we took the short-term view of just going for points to close the nations, I think you're forever in transition. So our aim is, you know, we'll take a hit now. You know, we're going to persevere with the players. We're going to back the players. And once we start winning, I think we'll keep winning. I mean, Bahamas, 253 appearances in their team. We had 68. You know, mm. we're playing Guatemala in our first World Cup qualifier. Uh, Guatemala's sent midfielders, I think, have got 79 and 60 caps. So their two players have got double the amount our team are going to have. But yeah. if you look at like uh, Tyler Forbes, for instance, it, who was 17, I think he's played eight games now. So you look at him playing eight games. By the time he's 25, he's going to play 50. That's you know, incredible. 50 games and that there's a lot of players around his age. So I think by the time we get to 2024, mm. we might have about five, 600 appearances in the group. And yeah. the average age is still only going to be 27. We, really we win a lot exciting. of games when we get to that. You know, France won the really World exciting. Cup with that those stats. Yeah. So, um, sorry, go on. With, with, with the, um, obviously you touched on the World Cup qualifying. How does this, the the structure work uh, in in obviously the Concacaf? Would you be could you potentially be like we have in Europe where you get your San Marinos and they get plunged into a group with Germany? Um, you know, you see, and, and then they'll go and get get done eight 0 in in you know at Dortmund's ground yeah. or whatever. Or will you be in sort of like a regional based um, initial sort of preliminary group to get into the latter sort of stage of the qualifying? How does it work? Yeah, we'll go into a preliminary group, but the preliminary group, if you're Sam, San Marino, will be teams like Denmark and Sweden. So, mm. you know, you're not playing teams around you. How it works is you have five, four or five pools, depending on the competition, and we're in pool five. Yeah. So we'll have a team from pool four, team from pool three, team from pool two, team from pool one. So World Cup qualifiers this year is probably the best chance anyone's ever going to get because of COVID and the windows of qualifiers are a lot shorter. We're now actually only six games away from qualifying for Qatar. We're in a group of four. If we progress out of the group of four, then we'll have a straight playoff against either US, Jamaica, Mexico, Honduras, Ecuador, one of, one of those types. You want and Honduras, you, don't you? You want yeah. Honduras. You want Honduras. <laughs> I would want Honduras. Not Mexico. No, no, you don't want them. So our group, the first one we pull out is Guatemala. Now, Guatemala have been one game away from qualifying for the last three tournaments. Because they've been, uh, they got fined and expelled for corruption, I believe. Uh, In a South American country, South Central African country, South American, I find it hard to believe. So they had, I think they had a ban of maybe a year to two years. And they've come back in and they put them in the last, in the bottom pool. So they put them in the bottom pool and we pull them out. So your bottom pool is always going to be USVI, Turks and Caicos, um, who else? Uh, French and Martin. Yeah, those type of teams that you've got a chance against because there are other small nations. We pulled Guatemala that'll have 35,000 there. You know, um, <laughs> but in actual fact, then we've got St. Vincent away, 
who are in yep. the qualifiers for the Gold Cup. Then we've got Cuba away in Havana. Mm. You know, massive game. And then we finish with Curacao, who got to the last quarterfinal of the Gold Cup, who had just employed Gus Hiddink. So, so we've got them at our place. Gus Hiddink could be in the opposite dugout. Unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Is, so four games. Uh, the reality is, if you can go and at the end of the four games, your goal difference is less than minus 20. Man, you're Dan, I, I'm going to have to say this. You're living my my football manager <laughs> dream. You are literally living. You know, we've all been there at two o'clock in the morning. The wife's gone to bed. The kids are asleep. You know, you're there at St Kitts and Nevis. You know, you're 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 giving everything just to qualify, and you're actually doing it. This is yeah. brilliant. Please don't lose contact with the TTM podcast. Let's just leave that there. Okay, yeah, good stuff, James. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, how many are you going to beat Carousel by then? Yeah, Carousel is going to be tough. <laughs> I mean, I think he's looked at us and going to come for a point, to be honest, so it's how we're going to break him down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, every game, but the good thing is there's going to be very little online about us, but there's going to be a hell of a lot on them online because because they're big countries. And we're going to have eight or nine players that are going to be playing a good standard week in, week out. So I actually think we'll be quite competitive. I think we'll come up short, a little bit short, just because of the age of the players and we're going to be a little bit experienced. And But I think after these four games, then when we get to September, we get to Nations League qualifiers again. We're going to be, we, we'll have some, some games that you perceive to be winnable and we're going to be much better for this experience. I mean, I think when I first come into it in 2018, we had Suriname, who are now touching pool one, Martinique, who are very, very well-respected team in the region. Then we had um, Turks and Caicos and Bonaire. Um, and I was lo- I was really looking forward to it when the draw was made. But now I've been in the region two years. When I look to the draw now, massively excited, firstly, about who we're playing. But I, it's tinged with the fact that I know if we're not absolutely as prepared as we can be, it could get really ugly for us. Mm. You, know, mm. you go in now and no illusions. So um, mm. everything is about preparing as well as we can, looking at trying to get the extra 1%. Now, we're going to be able to play, it looks like, home games. We're going to be playing at the old stadium, but we haven't played a home game since 2018. And in yeah, yeah. football, home advantage does make a difference. Oh, it's happened to see everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that we can play home games, and I think we'll be well supported as well. You know, I think we'll be well supported on the island, you know, should fans be allowed in. Um then that that will definitely give us a big 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 advantage. I think. Do you, um, as the technical director, can you, for instance, get in contact um, and, and arrange money spinning friendlies? You know, COVID obviously has put a spanner in those works. But could you get, for instance, a Jamaica over to play if they're if they've qualified for the World Cup and they're looking for friendlies? Would that be something that they would do in their eyes to give their guys a run off? But if I was you, I'd be thinking, well, we're gonna you know we're gonna upset you here. Yeah, I think we could get, you know, I think, you know, I've been in the region a while now. So Jamaica's technical director, um, Wendell Downswell, and their national team coach, um, uh, uh, I, know, I know them well. So, yeah, yeah, I think that it wouldn't be impossible to get those types over. They're not really money spinners, though, because traditionally you cover the cost, their costs. And when you've got a small stadium, if you, if you look at the balance off, you know, I think you definitely want to play the friendly, but you're probably not going to come out in credit. Yeah. You know, by hand. But yeah, I mean, we'd love to play them. I mean, at the moment, we're being, you know, we're being sort of realistic because we want to play Jamaica at a point where we think we can give them a really good go. And I think we would now. But, you know, we're probably, there's probably different challenges for us before we get to those type of games. 
um, one thing is for sure we'll be watching and and we'll be spreading the word as well um you know within our uh platform that we're building uh at the moment we're building from the bottom and you know you'll live and prove that it can be done um we we applaud you for what you're doing um we think it's absolutely commendable um yeah we've just got to keep our eye on it we will try to get out there and you, you have our word on that um we will you know get a shirt if we can from somewhere if they've got <laughs> oh, a, yeah, a, if they've got a club shirt you know we'll we'll have that bvi absolutely um i think it's been an absolute pleasure i mean have you enjoyed it on the ttm podcast uh, at all, absolutely brilliant. yeah thanks for having me yeah questions have been you know really yeah yeah very well like researched and yeah excellent yeah um also dan finally as well the the profile of the bvi is almost non-existent yeah. It, and no, no disrespect um yeah. found some of the research for this quite difficult now um what can you do to raise that and is that in any way part of your your thinking it's probably an indirect one but the better we do the more we accomplish the more milestones we get past the better our players are the more our profile will grow you know at the moment a lot of our work has been done below water level mm. so you know no one would necessarily too much pick up on it unless you're in the CONCACAF region but you know as we grow as we do better as the players get better as we pass milestones and I think that should look after itself really absolutely hello to all our fantastic TTM podcast listeners we have a real treat for you do you have trouble with your sleeping Do you suffer with anxiety or depression? Do you still have those aching muscles that you keep talking about? Then we have the perfect product for you to try. Supreme CBD. It comes in many different forms. For example, Supreme CBD face cream. It uses organic natural ingredients leaving your face feeling smooth and also without the use of synthetic compounds. For those aching muscles, there's Supreme CBD Muscle and Joint Rub, which penetrates deep into the skin and muscle joints, combining the therapeutic benefits of eucalyptus, rosemary, cinnamon bark, and black pepper in a wonderfully hydrating aloe gel. Also, there's more available. We have all of the oils, vapes, and even gummy bears, which are vegan. Now for the best part. Head over to Supreme CBD UK today and enter our unique discount code TTM30 and you will get 30% off of everything on the website. That code again, TTM30. It really doesn't get any better. Head over to SupremeCBD.UK. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.